Good evening, everybody. Tonight, I'm going to be speaking on a outline that I had to do for one of my classes um, involving the church and its worship. I figured, though most of us, or all of us, probably already know all about worship, it's always good to bring to our remembrance these things and dwell on them continually so that we continue to do the things which we're supposed to do. So, as I mentioned, the subject is on worship. Now, as we know, the church is a unified body. It is made up of many different members. And we know that when one obeys the gospel and they are baptized into Christ, they are added to the Lord's church, as we find in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 47, when we see the 3,000 people who were baptized, and it says that they were added to the church, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and breaking of bread. And... As a unified body with different members, just as our body has many members, each member has a function to fill. The local congregation is made up of these members, and we, as part of the local congregation, have our works to do and our worship. And Paul emphasizes the need for each member to do his part in helping the body function at its best, as we see in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. And it says, For I say through the grace given to me, to every one who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having been gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy, with cheerfulness. So we see we each have our own roles to fill within the church. 
And in order for the body to function properly, we all must do our part in the work. As a part of the function of the body is to give praise and adoration to God through various avenues of what is called worship. So what is worship? The idea behind worship is that someone is worthy of our special attention. And its obvious use with reference to God is that God is worthy of all praise and honor and glory that man can give him. And the idea behind the Greek words translated as worship is to kiss forward, to bow down, to serve, to fall back before, to fear, to show reverence to. Such ideas stress the need for humility on man's part in the presence of Almighty God. James tells us in James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. It also stresses showing an awe or reverence or respect for the nature and actions of God, as we see in Revelation chapter 14, verse 7. Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. If you consider all the mighty works that God has done, the creation of the universe, the creation of the earth, the creation of mankind, of creatures, and see the intelligence, the ingenuity, the mighty works, we can't help but feel awe and reverence for the power that created such, and we need to show it. We also need to express openly our admiration, uh, adoration, praise, and honor to God that has redeemed man. Revelation chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. We see, They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgment have been manifested. We see them here openly 
showing and expressing admiration and adoration to God and His power. It also stresses being acceptable in life and actions before this true God of heaven. Let's read Isaiah chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. We find here that at this time, Israel had been going through the motions, so to speak. They had gotten to the point where they were sacrificing and going through the steps of worship, but with the wrong attitude. They were just doing it as if it were the day-to-day grind, like their day job, just go in, get it done, get out. And we see here, they're being told, Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity. And the sacred meeting, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear you. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. We see here that Israel was not living an acceptable life, although they were going through the motions, which shows us that there is a acceptable way and an unacceptable way to worship. And it's not just actions, it is attitude as well. Worship is something that needs to come from within the heart and soul of man. And it needs to be expressed in ways appointed by God. John tells us in John chapter 4 verse 24 that God is a spirit and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. If our worship is not coming from the heart, it is not acceptable. And worship must give honor praise and glory to God. Psalms chapter 29, verse 2. Give unto the Lord the glory due to His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So we must give the glory that is due to his name for all his mighty works and his power. And worship is engaged primarily to be pleasing to God and not to men. And this is where many people get messed up. Many people feel like church is a entertainment, something that should be pleasing to them, 
They feel that they are there to be entertained rather than to do the will of God and to be pleasing to God. And because of this, you see many denominations that they have music. You see many denominations that are basically just a concert with a little bit of speaking at the end. However, that is not how it's supposed to be. We should be pleasing to God first in everything that we do and not to men. And there is a strange phenomenon about the design of the worship to God. It is intended primarily to benefit the worshiper. The very activities commanded by God lead to upbuilding and encouragement to those who sincerely participate. When there is a singing and you have a big group of people and they're all singing and you can hear everybody singing along together, it's very uplifting and encouraging. When you have people that are participating, it's very uplifting to see. When you have just any participation participation at all in the services it for me personally it's very uplifting to see people participating and to hear the songs of these happy people and all this it's very uplifting upbuilding and it's meant to be that way however when you're trying to please men and you bring in music it's not upbuilding people you have some people who may feel that well these people have this talent that I don't have then you kind of might see them get down and you have people who can't hear the singing, this beautiful singing over the instruments. And where's the uplifting in that? Now, under God's covenant with the Jewish nation, only priests were allowed to offer sacrifices to God and be acceptable. Saul, the first king of Israel, found this out the hard way. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 8 through 14, we see <coughs> excuse me, where the Philistines were coming out to war against Israel. And Saul was told to wait seven days for Samuel to come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Well, on the seventh day, Saul gets antsy, so to speak. And as Israel is fleeing and hiding, he says that he has to make an offering because Samuel has not showed up yet. So he, being not a priest, makes a sacrifice to God. And 
Sorry about that. Forgot to turn my alarm off. So we see Samuel being told by God to go and get down to where Saul was because he had offered a sacrifice that he was not supposed to make. Let's read chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offerings that Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So we see here that Saul did what he thought was right, but he was wrong. And don't we see that today? There's many people out there who think that they're doing what's right, but in reality, they're doing what's wrong. Now, in those days, no one could just appoint themselves to be priests, for they had to be chosen by God to serve as priests for the people, like Aaron, as we see in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 4. Which says, And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. Priests were taken from among men to serve as go between between God and man. He is the one to offer gifts and sacrifices before God for the people, as we see in Hebrews chapter five and verse one. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. But God wanted these people, these priests, to have compassion on the people that they served to help them, as we see in verse 2 of the same chapter. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. Now, under the new covenant, Jesus is the Christian's high priest that serves his people before the throne of God continually 
making intercession for us by his blood that serves as our means of atonement. Many people don't realize or make the connection that the Old Testament was actually a shadow of the things to come. And many people at that time did not realize it either. The Jewish people were afraid that everything that they knew about religion was about to be thrown out of a window and something totally new was to be brought in. But really, they were living in a shadow of the Christian age to come. Jesus Christ was to become the high priest. The tabernacle is the type of the church. The showbread that was in the tabernacle was a type of the Lord's Supper. The golden candlestick that was in the tabernacle was a type of the word of God, the light to man. So we see that the old covenant was a shadow of the substance that was to come, that was fulfilled in Christ and in the Christian age. Now, what about priests here on earth that offer gifts and sacrifices to God for the people? The Hebrew writer gives an indication when he says in chapter 13, verses 15 through 16, Therefore, by him... Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So how could this writer suggest such an action unless Christians are appointed by God to act as priests? You may remember this morning when I read from 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 what Peter has to say about this. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We today are a priesthood to God. Peter makes it very clear here that we are his royal priesthood, a holy nation to him his own special people. And as such, we can offer up these spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God, that is his will. Paul admonished the Christians at Rome 
to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice to God. As we see in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and following. Which says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's telling us here that we are priests and we should not allow ourselves to be defiled by the worldly things around us. We should present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God by living acceptably in every way possible. And John tells us that Jesus had made his people to be both kings and priests unto God in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6. Which says, And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thus all of God's redeemed people are appointed as priests to wait on the services of God, to offer up acceptable gifts and sacrifices to God through Jesus. So we see that there are acceptable and unacceptable kinds of worship. And just any kind of worship offered to God will not be accepted by Him. Since only priests can offer acceptable gifts and sacrifices to God, one who is not a priest would offer vain worship to his maker. The Bible speaks of various things that makes one's worship unacceptable to God. We see in Acts chapter 17 verses 22 and 23, we have Paul going through Athens and he sees all these monuments to the various Roman gods and there is one labeled to the unknown god I'm in the wrong chapter and he says this Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the Gentile worshippers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there, then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers I'm in the wrong spot again. I'm sorry. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive in all things that you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. We see that the men there in Athens were worshiping God ignorantly, and their worship would not have been acceptable. 
We also see that to make one's worship vain by turning from what God teaches and following the doctrines of, and commands of men would also be unacceptable. In Mark chapter 7, verses 6 through 8, He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. They had turned away from God's teachings and were following after the doctrines of men at that point. And their worship was unacceptable. Living an ungodly life makes one's worship vain. As we see in Isaiah chapter 1 verses 13 through 17. As we read before, bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity. And the sacred meeting, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless and plead for the widow. And as I had mentioned before, at that point, the Jewish people, they were going through the motions and they were not living right, but they felt as though if they had sacrificed and sacrificed and do the will, that God was obligated to forgive them. However, their worship was in vain, and it was not acceptable. Worshiping of angels and of men is also unacceptable. Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. And believe it or not, many people today actually do worship angels still. Let no man cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. People worshiping angels has been a problem since even early, early on. There were... 
many, many men. Um, I'm having some mental deficiencies here, but um, Manoah in Judges, Samson's father, when the angel brought the news that they were going to have a son, Samson, and that he was going to be a Nazarite, Manoah and his wife, they wanted to worship the angel. However, the angels were not to be worshipped. They did not accept worship because it would have been in vain and it would have been unacceptable. Designing one's own avenues of worship to God is also unacceptable. Here again in chapter 2 of Colossians, in verse 20 through 23, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And we see many people today trying to design their own avenues of worship. And that is one of the reasons we have 50,000 plus denominations in the U.S. alone. Acceptable worship, however, involves several aspects. It involves the right object, and only God is to be worshipped. He is the right object. Man cannot reasonably or acceptably worship a being he does not know. Paul wanted to tell the Athenians, as I mentioned before, about the true and living God so that they could worship him correctly and not ignorantly like they were. It would be correct, let's see, sorry, the mind of man, the mind of man must be involved in worship as well, to be, worship is to be with understanding, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 15. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. We, in worship, should understand what we're worshiping, why we're worshiping, what we're doing. And it should be acceptable to those outside of the body of Christ as well, or understandable. It goes on to say in verse number 16, 
Otherwise, you bless with the Spirit. How will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? If someone were to walk in here right now, and he did not know anything about God, about Christianity, and we did not worship in such a way that was understandable to him, what good would it do him? If we were as some to try to say, for instance, the denominations that like to speak in tongues, so to say, they cannot have understanding the people who come in they can't understand them the people themselves cannot even understand what they're saying so how can you worship with understanding in such a manner and how can you edify others if they can't understand you so worship must be with understanding and it needs to involve the memory of what has been done for us we need to always be in remembrance of the sacrifice that was made for us and the reason that we come to worship and worship God. It is to express one's love to God with his mind, and worship is a decision of the mind. Next, the heart of man. Man's heart must be in the worship. Jesus said that worship with the lips and not with the heart is unacceptable. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9, we find... Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. And that goes back to some extent to the attitude problem that the Jewish people had at that time they were just going